Okay, um, we've had some questions that have come in over um, the last uh, few minutes. But let's start with a comment here that someone posted. Um, God is limitless. Um, and the comment was that um, uh, this person remembers three words being used to describe this. Limit, what limit, li, limitless, if I can pronounce it properly, limitless, yes. um, means God is om, um, omnipresent, ev meaning everywhere, omniscient, meaning all-knowing, and omnipotent, all-powerful. It's a great way to remember things. Um, so let's start with the first question. Um, if God is sovereign and limitless, why did he choose to work with such a small group of people, Israel, instead of working with the world as a whole? Yeah, great question. And um, the, the scriptures make it very clear that God is always at work in the whole world. Remember that in uh, creation, the creation story, um, Adam and Eve were told to go and fill uh, the whole earth. And later on in the New Testament, when Paul's preaching, he said from one, um, one man, God made all people and all nations. So that's always the perspective that we all belong to the same family of God. But without having to go through the whole um, salvation history, which is difficult, I find it really interesting that you have all the history, including Noah and everything that leads up to Abraham, about 2,000 years before Christ. And then God does work more specifically with the Israelite nation, although they're told to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Um, Jerusalem is told to be the city on the hill that the nations can see. So they still had an evangelistic role. I find it really interesting, though, that now, since the time of Christ, there's been another 2,000 years where Israel has, by and large, turned away from God, and yet the gospel has gone out to the whole nations. So in a sense, you can say there were 2,000 years where God's focus was primarily on Israel, and now for another 2,000 years, there seems to have been more of a focus on the nations. But the gospel is still um, for all people, but even mathematically speaking, if Christ were to come to return today, he'd say, well, there was 2,000 you know, concentrated years where I focused on Israel and on the nations of the world. There's a couple of questions about uh, God's goodness. Um, so the first one's the longer one, so I'll try that one first. Uh, thinking of the Holocaust and the uh, truth that God is good, how do we respond to non-Christians who might not be satisfied with our response that God is good? They could find it, it difficult to reconcile the notion of a good God with a God that who would allow the suffering of seeming, seemingly innocent people. And kind of tied in with that, if, uh, if God is good, why is hell so bad? Isn't it unloving and uncompassionate to punish people, even if they deserve it? Okay. Yeah, I'll take those in, in two parts. Um, so the first part of, you know, the, one of the great apologetic struggles for Christians is if, you know, if God is good, why does he allow evil to exist? And again, it's a, it's a huge question. But first of all, I think we should always be sympathetic. Um, I never think, well, this is no big deal. And whenever God is portrayed at looking at the evil of the world, he's never portrayed as dispassionate. Um, in the same way, again, as parents, a lot of times we've had to look on as our children do the wrong thing. And especially as they grow up into their adult years and you just think, I can't actually control this. I can't change their behavior. They have to learn this on their own. Um, God is, in a sense, in that, in that same position. Um, 
in the scriptures and particularly in a book like Revelation where in a sense all of these great judgments start coming down on the world you know and the horsemen of the apocalypse and all of that but there's this phrase that keep be, keeps being repeated and yet for all of this people still did not change and repent so I think the big problem is in the stubbornness of the human heart um, we are really good at just digging our heels in and saying, I don't care what punishment. I remember a few times with my children, I would punish them and punish them, and they just kept on saying, no, I'm going to keep doing this. And God has to deal with rebellious um, children, and, and the curse of this world is meant to point us back. The, the hell question is a good one, and I'll just say to you that we're actually going to have one whole week on um, judgment and hell, so I don't want to you know, preclude that sermon. But one thing I do want to say about hell is that I think one of our big problems with heaven and hell is that even in the church, we've begun to believe a mythology that exists in the world about both heaven and hell. So the reason that a lot of people say, I don't know if I want to go to heaven because I don't want to just sit on a cloud with angels singing and it's all white and blank, which is not the way the Bible describes heaven. Um, and it seems really boring and tedious, and we've bought into a worldly picture of heaven. We've also bought into a very worldly picture of hell, where there's this pit with fire and demons, and God just throws everyone willy-nilly into this pit, and we forget that the Bible has a lot to say about God's judgment, and one phrase that Christians still don't talk about enough, he will give to each person according to what they have done. Um, that God does judge fairly at the end, and there's not just this willy-nilly throwing people into a fire and saying, well, that's it for you. So we'll talk about that more when the time comes. Okay. Uh, this one's kind of bit left field. Um, question, does the general uh, creation account support the idea that uh, in an ideal world, pre-fall, humans are meant to be vegetarian? <laughs> it's a very good question. Those of you who like meat? Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. Oh, uh, look, it's a great question. I, I don't have a, a, a great answer to it, although I do notice in Isaiah, one of the books that we're going to look at um, next term, it talks about, you know, lions eating straw like the ox. Um, and I always, one of my favorite creatures, you know, Perissa knows, is I love bears. I just love bears. But, you know, bears have got these giant teeth, and they've got these massive claws, and they're one of the biggest land creatures ever. You know what they like to eat? They eat honey and nuts and berries. And so, while it might seem strange to us, this idea of a lion, you know, they're meant to eat, you know, the lamb. Um, there is evidence that there are some big, ferocious-looking creatures that can live um, well in others. I, I know there won't be death um, in heaven. Whether that means vegetarianism, um, we'll find out, right? <laughs> um, I guess the last one's here. Uh, in the image of God, um, I... Uh, aren't we above the angels? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is a really good question, and I'm going to answer it, um, give you a nice summarized, short and concise answer. Psalm 8 says he made us a little lower than the angels. Um, so when you read about the different angels in the Bible, and we'll talk a little bit more about this next week when we look at some of the spiritual beings at creation, they're always pretty massive and kind of scary, majestic people, and when, uh, 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 creatures, and whenever humans come into contact with, with angels, whether that be demons or the holy angels, there's always this fear and a sense of being overpowered. So in that sense, we're made lower. Um, and yet God has done something special for humanity that he hasn't done for the angels. Um, we are created in God's holy in image, and we're told that the, even the angels long to look into and to fully understand this amazing relationship 
uh, that God has with us through, through Jesus Christ. So in power, maybe we can say maybe we're, we're lower, but God has done something really unique amongst probably his weakest creatures, um, which is so godlike. Mm. Um, do you think you want to end on that question there? The, um, and why did God create the world in the first place? I'm going to give you the answer, my favorite answer I ever received in a scripture class when I was teaching kindy kids. And I said, why did God create the world in us? And this little girl up the front, five years old, stood up and said, God created us because he's a father and he wanted to have children to love. Um, when we think about God as this big, gigantic, unknowable entity, you go, why would he bother creating a speck of a planet and then putting more specks of dust on the speck of a planet? When you think about God as a father who is love and wants to have children to love, it makes perfect sense. The same way reason that we had families that are represented here. Great. Thank you, Chad. All right.